Pirates know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined this week by our, now I would say, part-time co-host, Scott Mason. Scott, how you doing today? Hey, Joe, what's going on? Part-time, full-time, anytime. Whatever you guys need, I'm here. So as Dalvin is out on the campaign trail, hoping to get elected to city council and then one day probably become president, we're back here holding down the fort talking about our New York Jets. Absolutely. And uh, this week what we're going to do, obviously we're on the short week with the Jets playing Thursday night, so we're recording this uh pretty early in the day on Tuesday, so no breaking news for the Jets yet at the trade deadline. Hopefully they do something before 4 o'clock, although it does not seem like we're heading that way as of now. Uh, We'll talk about the 25-20 loss in the monsoon to Atlanta, preview Jets-Bills, and talk about where this team really stands at the halfway mark of the season. 3-5 and uh, on pace for a 6-10 and record. You know, what we've learned through the first eight games and what we expect to see over the final eight games. Before we dive into it, I want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official team partner and sponsor of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets to learn more about their fan engagement events at both home and away games, including a tailgate outside the Pepsi gate this Thursday night when they host Buffalo in their only primetime game of the year. Again, that's primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter and Facebook as well at prime sport. All right, so Jets-Falcons. We've now seen this movie three weeks in a row. The Jets get the ball first. They go right down the field. They score a touchdown. This time it was Eric Tomlinson catching one from Josh McCown. Uh, Jets go up 7-0. They play well in the first half. Another touchdown from uh, McCown to Robbie Anderson. At the half, everyone's talking about Josh Morton has a hot head coaching candidate, talking about bringing McCown back next year because he threw another first half, two touchdowns, and the Jets look like they're about to score an upset. You know, they were five, six-point underdogs going into this game. Second half, uh, Jets offense completely shuts down. They only score three points again in the second half. They've only scored 20 second-half points over the course of eight games. Atlanta gradually chips back, taking advantage of Morris Claiborne being out hurt. Uh, a muff punt from Jeremy Curley late helps lead to more Atlanta points. And again, the Jets get the ball late with a chance to tie – I'm sorry, with a chance to win – and are unable to do anything of note with the final drive, uh, dropping their record to 3-5, and five, their third straight loss. Uh, again, I, I've said this a few times this week, I think it's hard to be overly bummed out about these losses. The Jets are more competitive than most people expected. In close games, they're running into the reality and the ceiling of having Josh McCown as their quarterback, Jermaine Curse and Jeremy Curley as two of their top three receivers, and not having a pass rush on defense. And once Claiborne was out there starting three, you know, cast-offs at cornerback. Uh, Nelson, who was signed a few days ago, played 40 snaps as their nickel corner. Justin Burris was forced into action and looked completely overmatched, which is why he was benched earlier in the season. And then you had Daryl Roberts, who's played pretty well this year, but struggled uh, when he had to shift over onto Julio Jones and was beat down the field for a huge play. So frustrating to see the Jets continually lose close games, but the reality is is that by most advanced metrics, this is one of the six or seven worst teams in the league, so it's not overly shocking that they're three and five at the halfway point. Scott, what were your main thoughts and observations on the Jets' 25-20 loss to Atlanta? Yeah, Joe, you said it. Uh, Kyle Fahey and I on the post-game reaction show on Sunday, which may I add, I think is an excellent compliment to your written piece 
at turnonthejets.com where you break things down right after the game ends. We said that essentially we've been on repeat the last couple of weeks. It's been the same story over and over again. It's been, oh, hey, nice touchdown there, early going. Jets are looking good. Oh, wait a second. The offense can't do anything anymore. Hey, how come the defense isn't making a stop in the fourth quarter? Hey, Josh McCown, you've been in the league a million years. Why are you throwing that pass? Where's the running game? And it's just the same thing over and over again. It's funny because I think it's really what you said we expected, Joe. We all expected it before the season started, and now we're seeing it. They tricked us a little bit by beating some bad teams. Now, as the season wears on, we're really starting to see what this team is, and what this team is is a team that's just very limited. They're not good enough to win crunch time. They don't have the quarterback. They don't have the overall skill level. And Mars Claiborne, like you said, as soon as he went out, they started targeting Julio Jones like crazy, Rob Carpenter former New York Jet and former guest of my podcast, Play Like a Jet. He was pointing it out on Twitter. Oh, it's open season now that Morris Claiborne's out. And I think that my takeaway from this was that even though Atlanta was floundering, you knew that despite the fact that Matt Ryan fumbled the ball, it seemed to be 656 times. It's just an approximation, by the way. I'll have to look up the exact number that they were going to find a way to win this thing and the Jets were going to find a way not to win it. And there are a lot of people you could blame, and Jeremy Curley. The, the funny thing about this, Joe, we always joked is, well, Jeremy Curley's captain fair catch, but at least you don't have to worry about him turning the ball over. Well, guess what? Sunday he decided to turn the ball over. And we had that situation where in the fourth quarter, again, the defense wilted. They didn't get enough pressure in the fourth. We didn't see any running game, and Josh McCown had to try and make things happen down the stretch and he couldn't because he's Josh McCown and that's really what my takeaway was from a Joe it's the same old story same old song and dance my friends to quit to quote uh Steven Tyler of Aerosmith and the Jets lose another one relatively close I believe they would have covered uh the spread most weeks if not flat out beat the spread but that doesn't really matter unless you're gambling and the fact is they're three and five for a reason and that reason is and when it comes down to it, the most important part of the game, they just can't get the job done because they don't have the talent. And you said it really well in your written piece. This is just a very talent-poor team, and people, I think, need to start to come to grips with that. Those three wins in a row tricked some people and got people's expectations up higher than they should have been. But as you've said also, and a bunch of us have, the trade deadline is, as we're recording this, I don't know what the Jets are going to do, but realistically, no matter what they do or don't do, they should be in sell mode right now, and they should be thinking about what their next move is going to be, especially if they lose to the Bills, and we'll talk about that. But if they do, where where do they go going forward, especially at the quarterback position? Yeah, I, I think, again, we've talked about this a few times. When the game gets close and you get into these tight spots, when you're weak at the premium positions, it particularly shows. When you're you're losing the quarterback head-to-head matchup most weeks, when you don't have a premium pass rusher who can make a play late, and when you don't have a player on offense who is really a game-breaker. And we, you know, I like how Anderson is growing, and I like how I've always liked Powell's game, but the Jets don't have somebody who could regularly change the game uh, when it's close and when it's a one-possession game you know, late, and they should absolutely be sellers at the trade deadline. 
everybody should be on the trade block outside of a small handful of players, the 2017 picks, Leonard Williams, James Carpenter, Anua, maybe Lee, uh, Safarian Jenkins, and maybe one or two other players. But beyond that, Jermaine Kearse, Jeremy Curley, Morris Claiborne, Powell, uh, Beecham, Ijelana, just about everybody, the Jets should be considering finding ways to get draft picks back. They have the least amount of picks of all the AFC's teams as of right now and have the worst record, which is a bad spot to be in. As we know, New England traded Jimmy Garoppolo for a second-round pick. Uh, the Dolphins traded Jay Ajayi for a fifth-round pick. The Bills are stacked up with picks and are still 5-2. and two. Uh, You don't want to be stuck in no man's land, and the Jets need as many assets as possible. In a way, I think the Garoppolo trade is good news for the Jets. Uh, It means the Niners should be out of the quarterback market next year, and the Niners are likely to pick ahead of the Jets, so that helps in that cause. If they're going to draft somebody, it also is one less person bidding after Kirk Cousins, and I'm sure this is a discussion and a debate we're going to have endlessly in the offseason. If Kirk Cousins is worth five years and $140 million, we put a poll out on Twitter about it. It was about 60-40 saying no to yes. As of now, I probably lean towards no, but that's a discussion for another day. But either way, you know, the Pats getting rid of Garoppolo and getting him on the Niners does give the Jets potentially a little more flexibility in the offseason. But, you know, I think you look at Miami, right? Miami's four and three. But by every advanced metric and by the eye test, they're one of the six or seven worst teams in the league this year. They are not being hesitant uh, to be sellers at the deadline and acquiring more assets to build long term. And the Jets aren't making the playoffs this year. I don't even think they're going to get close to being in that discussion. So as many assets as they could get for next year, they currently have nine picks. Get that to 10 or 11. You're not going anywhere with placeholder veterans like Curse and Curley and McCown. So the time is getting very near for them to look at how they could play the younger players on the roster. And I think that, you know, even if they beat Buffalo this week, uh, when you look at their second half schedule uh, and all the teams that they're going to have to play, particularly some of the road games, it's really hard to see this team getting over six or seven wins. So, you know, at that point, why aren't you evaluating the young players as much as you possibly can? All right, before we break down the Thursday night matchup with Buffalo, also want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Make sure to check them out and use promo code TOJ for up to a 100% cash bonus back on your first deposit. Again, if you're looking for some Week 9 NFL action, college football action, NBA, World Series, check out MyBookie.ag. Use promo code TOJ for that cash back bonus. Again, MyBookie.ag. All right, Thursday night football, Scott. Jets lost to the Bills 21-12 in week one. The Bills are 5-2. and two. Nip it on the Patriots' heels. A lot of people thought they were tanking this year, but uh, they've been much better coached than they've been the last two years because Rex Ryan is gone. Tyrod Taylor has done what he always done does, manage the game and make plays. How do you think the Jets match up with Buffalo, and do you think they'll be able to flip the script on their week one loss? Probably not. <laughs> they'll be home this time. So it'll give them a better opportunity. And it's my brother who is a, a professional gambler and knows a lot of sportsbook guys will always tell you the home field advantage is so understated by most fans. That's why if you're in one of those survival pools, the rule should be never, ever pick a road team. That said, I still think the Bills probably come away with a victory here. I just think that they have better talent overall, especially at the positions that matter. And on offense, it's mostly been what you would expect for them with Sammy Watkins gone. The Tyrod Taylor 
and Shady McCoy show. Shady McCoy, I believe, had about 150 yards rushing this past week in the, the Bills' victory. And Tyrod Taylor, what you said, Joe, it's basically managed the game and then make a handful of plays. But when he, when he steps up to make the plays, he makes it happen. And this is one of these things where I always thought the Bills were insane to even think about letting Tyrod Taylor leave, especially when you look at what's been going on with the Jets at quarterback. And with the Jets, look, I mean, what's really changed for them since week one? The Bills are on a bit of a roll, well, really more than a bit of a roll, and the Jets, nothing's really changed. They're kind of that same team. Uh, Jeremy Curley may not be available Thursday. I don't know what the situation's going to be because the news broke about the PED test, and I don't know if that's going to be an immediate suspension or if that's going to be down the line or whatever, but perhaps we'll see some of the younger receivers get a chance. Hanson played a couple of snaps uh, in this past game against Atlanta, and perhaps he'll get more of an opportunity against the Bills, but I don't know how much of an opportunity uh, that's going to, how much that's going to matter that he gets an opportunity, if he's going to make any kind of difference. I don't see them being able to run the ball. They haven't been able to do it all season, uh, except for those two plays against Jacksonville and on defense, same kind of deal. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a different kind of quarterback in the sense that he can hurt you in so many ways. I don't know that the Jets will be able to really contain or stop him. And Shady McCoy, look, you ran all over them the first week. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do the same thing this time. There's been some encouraging things like Darren Lee's been playing more off the edge and he's been playing better. But overall, this to me seems like it should be pretty close to a repeat of the first week when Buffalo came away with a 21-12 win, I think the Jets may hang relatively close, but I expect the Bills to do what better teams do and pull this out and the Jets to do what the worst teams do and wilt down the stretch, which is what they've largely done this year. Yeah, I think this is just a, a tough matchup for the Jets. Uh, I think Buffalo's speed presents a lot of problems, particularly with McCoy and, and Taylor uh, and how they were able to attack the middle of the field in week one. I, I think the last I saw, Buffalo was three or three-and-a-half-point favorites, and that sounds about right. I mean, I think we know what we're getting from the Jets every week. They're going to score two touchdowns, maybe kick a field goal or two, uh, and then it's really up to their defense if they could hold a team under 21 points because the Jets have only exceeded 21 points two out of eight games this year. feels like a 21-17, 23-17 type game for Buffalo. They've been well coached enough this year where you feel like they're going to be able to avoid a letdown. And, you know, what's going to be pretty crazy is that if the Jets lose this game, you know, Thursday night, you're going to be able to say, you know, 12 days before this, this team was 10 minutes away from being four and three in Miami. And now 12 days later, they're three and six. So that's how quick things could pivot uh, in the NFL when you can't win close games. And look, I, win or lose or whatever happens with this Buffalo and Tampa, you know, set before the bye week. My guess is the Jets will split these two games and go into the bye at four and six, finish the season probably one and five after the bye, because when you look at their schedule, it's just, it's going to be very tough for them. And I do think they will gradually start playing younger players, but you always want to be able to compete in the division. You don't want to get swept by Buffalo like they did two years ago. They actually swept Buffalo last year. It's going to be interesting to see how they compete, and they're going to be banged up in this one. We already know starting fullback Lawrence Thomas is out. Claiborne's not likely to play. Wilkerson, Screen uh, are going to be question marks. Same with Brandon Shell. So this is going to really test the Jets' depth, and they don't have much depth right now. So um, this is an uphill battle for them. Divisional games are usually close, but I, I wouldn't automatically assume that 
you know, the Bills are the team that we thought they were in the preseason. They've proven to be pretty good at 5-2 and two and looked like a tough matchup for the Jets in Week 1. So this is going to be an uphill climb for them. And it's going to be interesting to see if they lose this game, how many more people start to accept the reality of what the ceiling of this team is. Any final thoughts, Scotts, on roster shifts? that you, Let's say the Jets don't do anything at the deadline today. Let, we'll make that the default assumption. When do you think we'll start seeing some gradual changes to how their personnel is being used? I personally hope that it happens if they lose to the Bills and they end up 3-6, and six, and then we can all kind of realize that any idea that this team was going to compete this year for anything is out the window. And at that point, I would like to see more of Hanson and Ardarius Stewart and the younger players like that. But more importantly, and Joe, I wanted to hear what you think about this too, a lot of discussion on Jets social media about this over the last day or two. But Todd Bowles, after the game, was asked about the idea of getting a look at the younger quarterbacks. And his response was something along the lines of, I got to look at our younger quarterbacks this summer, and Josh is our quarterback. And to me, if that's how he feels and that's the decision he made, and then fine, good, great, no problem. I'm okay with that if you've decided that Petty and Hackenberger sunk costs, no problem. But why are they on this roster then, Joe? I don't understand that at all. If you've decided that they're not even worth giving a chance, even if you're three and six, you know, even if you don't think that Bryce Petty is going to be a great starter, maybe he could be a Case Keenum type. He could turn into that, somebody who – could be a reliable starter and then maybe pitch in for a handful of games when your real starter gets hurt. If you don't even think he could be that and you think Hackenberg's a complete sunk cost, these guys shouldn't be here. They should have been cut and there should be other guys on this roster. I don't really understand it. And Joe, I'm hopeful that Bowles is going to change his mind and maybe give those guys a little bit of playing time. I know that there are people that will say, well, if McCown is in, there's a better chance that Robbie Anderson continues to develop, but McCown misses Anderson so often anyway that I guess his development is better off with McCown than the other two, but that can't be the reason to me why you're not putting in Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg if you think either one of them has even the slightest chance to be anything in the NFL. So I want to hear your thoughts on that because his quote there really threw me for a loop because, look, obviously we all agreed McCown was the best of the three quarterbacks, but if he felt that strongly that neither one of these guys even belongs, then I don't know what the heck they're even doing here. Yeah, look, it, it's it's a tough balance because I agree with Bowles. I don't, I don't think Hackenberg or Petty are as good as McCown. I don't also think either of them are the answer long term, particularly Hackenberg, who was just completely overmatched in the preseason. And you, I've made this argument in the summer, and you can make a fair argument that you are going to constrain the development of the other young pieces, namely Anderson and Safarian Jenkins and McGuire. Uh, if you have such an incompetent quarterback uh, as a Hackenberg or Petty could end up being. Now, I think McCown's going to end up playing through the bye at least. I think once the Jets get their, got their third win, that was locked in. I do think that at some point you need to take a look at Petty, who... You need to see if he could be your long-term backup, and he's played in four NFL games, and he can at least somewhat protect himself and show he has shown he can get through a game and was better this preseason than he was last preseason, so that at least there was some incremental progress. So I don't think there'd be that far of a drop-off from McCown to Petty where you'd really be killing any opportunity to evaluate Anderson and Safari and Jenkins, particularly after they get 10, 11 games in McCown. So if I had to guess now... 
the Jets are not going to consider making a quarterback change probably until they get 11 or 12 games in the book. I think if they get to three and nine or four and eight, I think at that point, maybe you'll get a handful of petty starts to end the year. I don't, I don't think we're going to see any Hackenberg barring injuries or, or something crazy happening, but I do see where, you know, Bowles is coming from. Again, Bowles is also coaching for his job, so he's not going to make a switch right now to a guy that he believes is worse. And he's right, is worse at quarterback while this team is still only two games under 500. So it's hard to beat him up too much for that. And, you know, he's accurate in assessing it because we watched Petty and Hackenberg this summer and they, they're not better than McCown, which is a sad state of affairs, but uh, it speaks more <laughs> to the Jets' decision to, to draft them. All right, before we wrap, Scott, you want to give us a preview of what's on the way this Friday in uh, Play Like a Jet? Sure, and I just want to add real quick, I agree with most of what you're saying. My only point is, if those two guys are that bad that they don't even merit consideration, then I just don't see what the point of them being on the roster at all is. Just let them go and bring in other guys and try other people out and just start from scratch. But I guess that's something that goals and the coaching staff will have to deal with, as you said, maybe by week 11 or 12 when their hand gets forced more than likely. But, yeah, this Friday on Play Like a Jet, we go back to a better season, 2017 not shaping up well. We kind of figured that would be the case. But 1986, there was a ton of optimism because 1985, the Jets were 11-5. and five. They were a wild card. They went to the playoffs. In 86, they came back, and they were looking for big things to happen, and big things did start to happen. And we've got JoJo Townsell, who is a wide receiver, but mainly his calling card was as the Jets' kickoff returner, and he did that duty until 1990. He had quite a few really good years with the Jets, and we're going to talk about a year that's one of his favorite in the league, 1986. We got into part one last week. We talked about something very interesting with the New England Patriots, how Steve Grogan, the backup quarterback, was also the play caller, which was something that hadn't been done before and hasn't been done since. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't. We talked to JoJo also about playing in the USFL and how he actually did the insane move of playing an entire USFL season and an entire NFL season in the same year. Was that going to wear him down? As the season wore on, that's going to be part of what we talk about this week. We're also going to talk about a legendary game. If you're somebody that was around to watch the Jets back in the 80s or just somebody who's a big enough Jets fan to go back into the history of it, there was a huge game between the Jets and the Dolphins, week three of the 1986 season. It was an absolute shootout. There was over 1,000 yards, just the passing offense in that game. So we're going to talk about JoJo's memories of that. All kinds of crazy things going on in that one. We also got an opportunity to talk a little bit about one of JoJo's former teammates, Al Toon, and what JoJo thinks the Jets did right and wrong with his youth. For the younger fans, Al Toon was a guy whose career got shortened because of concussions, so we get into a little bit of concussion talk as well. JoJo, in his post-NFL career, has done a lot of talks on concussions and CTE and stuff like that among former players. So he has an interesting perspective. As we continue on this 1986 journey, which, by the way, turned out to be one of the greatest starts in Jets history. So if you're somebody that's tired of watching the Jets lose on Sundays and you want to hear about a time when they were a lot better team, you can listen to part two of 1986 with JoJo Townsell on Play Like a Jet this Friday. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, leave us reviews. You can get it at turnonthejets.com. And don't forget all the other great podcasts we've got. Draft season, 
with Jeff Lloyd and Dalvin Estario. This podcast, obviously, with Joe and Dalvin, and then me from time to time even. We've got the Jet Take with Kyle and Ben every Wednesday, 8 o'clock live. You can call in and give those guys a hard time. Kyle loves it. I think he lives for people to get in his face and yell at him. And he just plays off of it and loves it. So we've got that as well. And then, of course, the post-game podcast, which we will have immediately following the game this Thursday. Normally it would be on Sundays, but this, this week it's going to be this Thursday with Kyle and I. And there's talk of a special guest joining us. I don't want to announce it yet because I'm one of those people that's superstitious until it's taped or it's aired. I don't really want to be divulging anything, but I will say that it's definitely somebody that I've been wanting to have on this podcast since Kyle and I started it, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, Joe, a whole week worth of Jets content and Jets podcast. And Friday will be the uh, capper on the, the entire podcast week this week because the postgame podcast is Thursday. So Friday, we'll end the podcast week with part two of the 86th season on Play Like a Jet with JoJo Townsville. All right, everybody, a final reminder to go subscribe to the Turn the Jets podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review, do the same thing for Play Like a Jet. You could also listen to the episodes on our website, turnonthejets.com. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. Make sure to follow Scott on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Check out our gear store at theloyalist.com backslash turn on the Jets. Uh, and make sure to uh, check back on Friday for post-game reaction, audio, and written form. Uh, episode 2 of Play Like a Jet. And then we'll be back next week with a new episode of this podcast. Thank you again, everyone, for listening as always. And we'll talk to you next week.